Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. I'm glad that you have tuned in today. For all of you that are first time listeners, my name is Jeff Lyle and I am uh, the host of Mavericks and Misfits. This podcast is very, very simply uh, designed in its purpose and it is to basically speak into the lives of people who are hungry for truth. They are hungry for a work and a move of God in their generation. They're hungry for um, authentic expression of Christianity in the day in which we're living. And that's on the positive side. On the negative side, they are a little bit sick and tired of um, inferior, inauthentic, or non-biblical representations of Christianity, of the kingdom of God, of the expression of the local church. And so um, Mavericks and Misfits was just designed by me um, you know, some time ago to, uh, I guess we're coming up on two years now. Matter of fact, I think it's two years, like maybe even this week, but, um, the whole, the whole purpose of Mavericks and Misfits is just to be able to speak about issues from a kingdom perspective and to encourage you guys as listeners to, um, really, really consider how you're living out your faith and to become more and more inclined towards a biblically informed representation of both your theology, your practices, your relationship, and your mission in life. And so I don't claim to be original. I don't claim that I'm the only podcast doing what I'm doing, but um, I just feel very grateful for the Lord allowing me the privilege to speak into your lives. And I hope that if you are listening regularly, that you're being blessed and that you're being helped and that you're being stretched. Always love to hear from you guys. And if you're interested in sending any feedback, I'll just go ahead and give you the email at the beginning of the podcast. It's jeff at maverickmisfit.com, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. And uh, feel free to reach out. And if you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like for me to consider um, for the podcast, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Today's topic um, is really just, <laughs> um, well, let me give you a backstory. I'm actually going to share with you on the podcast today in a condensed version, a message that I didn't get to share at the church at Winder where I serve as lead pastor. Um, and the reason why I didn't get to share it is because there was a great move of the Holy spirit in the Sunday, 1030 service a couple of weeks ago. And that's when I was originally going to share this. And I never even got to open my Bible. It was just one of those unique services where God just so moved and we went straight into uh, worship and ministry time and it just lasted the whole time. So, um, but I still had this thing burning on my heart. And so I felt like the Lord has given me some leeway to share it with you guys. And so I want to talk to you about remaining committed to love. Um, what does it mean to remain committed to love? Because love, um, as defined and often portrayed in, um, modern day life is, um, defined like something like this, like if you love me, you're going to do whatever I want you to do in order to make me feel awesome about me. And so it's a very shallow view of love. Love in our generation is very different from the love of God or the agape love that the church is supposed to live with because love sometimes does make you feel awesome about you. I think a lot of the time it will, but sometimes true love is, um, man, it, it bypasses the emotions. You can't locate it. You can have a love GPS system and, and there'll be nothing tracking because sometimes love uh, is not felt in the moment, but we're still required to the act of love, the heart posture of love, um, and remaining committed to love. And so love is easy when there's no friction, when there's no conflict, when there's no disappointment, where there's no failure or sin. Love's easy. 
And I'll actually show you that Jesus taught that. But the kind of love that you and I are called to by him is a love that remains steadfast and committed. And so I'm going to take you to a familiar passage of of um, scripture and um, all of this all of this is just in Matthew chapter number five and Jesus opens up in verse 38 let me I'm actually going to risk it I'm going to read 10 verses of scripture on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast and um, then I'm just going to talk through it I don't have like a official sermon but I, I want to go there with you and just give you a chance to really check your heart and see are, are you becoming more like Jesus in this commitment to love people um, he said in Matthew five thirty eight, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Verse 42 says, give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. And then here's where he gets really into the love thing, because those verses alone are challenging. I mean, good night alive. You know, he's, he's telling us some very difficult things to do, but it gets harder in verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. And he goes on, he says, pray for those who persecute you so that you can be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son, the S-U-N son, the sunshine, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And then Jesus asks a couple of questions. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward is there? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And those were the most notorious, like despised sinners in, in Jerusalem, the tax collectors. He says, even the tax collectors love those who love them back. He says, if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles, the pagans, don't even the pagans do that. And then he finishes this statement with, with a summary thought. He says, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. All right. So if this doesn't challenge you, you're not paying attention. Like you didn't hear a thing I said. If just reading those scriptures doesn't cause you to nod up a little bit because he's, he's telling you. When you're mistreated in the sense of insulted, that's where he starts. When he says, don't resist the one who is evil that slaps you on the right cheek, you offer him the left cheek also. Now, he's not talking about some you know commandment to endure physical abuse. The slapping on the cheek is not about being physically abused. It's the highest form of insult, especially in Jesus's day. And even in our day, if someone slaps you across the face, it's less about trying to beat you up and more about insulting you, putting in your place, shaming you. And what Jesus is saying there is for his followers, you don't need to retaliate. Um, there's this thing that was called um, the Lex Talionis, L-E-X Talionis, and it's Latin for the law of retaliation. And that's, that's kind of indicated in the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So the punishment is supposed to fit the offense. So if somebody poked your eye out, you're allowed under the Lex Talionis, the law of retaliation, you're allowed to poke their eye out. If they knock your tooth out, you're allowed to knock their tooth out. And so that that law of retaliation was given to do two things. One, to give people a moment to pause and think before they commit an unjust action against somebody. 
the law of retaliation says if you do this, they can retaliate. It's, you know, it was a governmental, it was a civil law. But the law also limited over-retaliation. In other words, for the person that got poked in the eye, you're only allowed to poke them in the eye. You can't gouge their eye out. You can't tear their head off. You can't, you know, kill them. And so the, the, the measure was you can't retaliate above what has been done to you. And then it warns people, but if you do wrong to somebody, they are allowed to retaliate at the same level with which you hurt them. But Jesus says, that's not how I operate. This is where the love part comes in. Jesus says, I actually don't want you to retaliate. He's not talking about defending yourself physically. If, if you're in harm's way, you're allowed to get out of harm's way. What he's talking about is retaliation. And it's in the context of being insulted, being slandered, being um, treated with indignity, being unjustly acted against. And Jesus is here saying, hey, I want to talk to you. If you're going to follow me, part of being one of my followers is you can't just retaliate. You're going to be done wrong at times. Your instinct is going to be to do wrong to the person who did wrong against you. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't resist them that way. Don't retaliate that way. But if they actually insult you, if they slap you on the cheek, that was the metaphor. If they slap you on the cheek, just go ahead and don't retaliate, even if they insult you again. Um, and then he gives it a different way. He says, if somebody sues you to take your inner garment, your tunic, go ahead and let them take your outer garment too. Um, what he's saying is, don't fight strongly for yourself. He says, if somebody forces you to go one mile and the Roman soldiers could do that to any Hebrew citizen, they could look at anybody in the Roman empire, really. But there in Jerusalem, people would often, a Roman soldier would pass by and be like, Hey, Jew, come over here, carry my knapsack. You're, you have to carry it for a mile. And Jesus says, yeah, if they make you do that, and you got to think for a Hebrew to carry the backpack or the weaponry or whatever, the load of a Roman soldier was the highest form of indignity to have your friends and your family watch you carrying the load of a despised Roman soldier was shaming. And Jesus says, if you're forced to go one mile, what I want you to do is actually go two miles. In other words, don't retaliate. Don't walk in the shame. You're free. You can not only go the one mile, but and it not affect your identity. You can go two miles with them. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so y'all stay with me. He then adds in a third thing. He says, if somebody's going to beg from you, don't refuse the legitimate need of somebody who's going to beg or borrow from you. So the whole premise that he's, he's summarizing there in these illustrations of turning the other cheek and giving the outer garment to somebody that sues you for the inner garment and go two miles, you know, go the extra mile. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, as my disciples, we respond very differently when we're imposed upon, when we're insulted, when we're wrongfully treated. He says, we, Jesus and all of his followers, we respond differently. We don't do lex talionis. We don't do the letter of the law. We don't find out what, can I, what am I allowed to get away with in retaliation. Jesus is saying, stop for a minute because you're following me. And part of following me is that you turn over all of your rights to your heavenly father, that you don't act in vengeance, that you don't live with a retaliatory spirit. 
that you don't want to get even, or if you want to get even, you choose not to act upon it. Jesus is inserting here an entirely different paradigm shift for how we think when we're wrongfully treated. Now, at this point, what he's basically saying is keep it neutral. If you're insulted, let it stop right there. If you're um, imposed upon for walking a mile, stop right there, go two miles. He, what he's saying is don't give them what they deserve. Give them grace and trust your heavenly father to defend you. That is the teaching, not only here, but in other places, uh, in from Jesus and from the apostles. But then he, so that just gets us kind of breaking even, but then he calls us to go deeper. And this is really what I want to talk about in my remaining time. He says, you've heard that it was said, this is uh, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, you will love your neighbor. And then he adds this. You've heard that it was said also, you can hate your enemy. Now, the, the, the law did tell the Hebrews, the Mosaic law did tell them that they had to love their neighbor. The law and the prophets both said that, you know, many places in different ways in our Old Testament, that you, you have to love your neighbor. And scripture reveals through Jesus's own parables, the Good Samaritan in particular, that loving your neighbor means loving everybody. <laughs> you and I as Jesus followers are called to operate in agape love towards everybody. And by the way, I'll just go ahead and help you here. You're going to work on that your whole life. And it, it, more than likely, there will be times where it's still a struggle to love everybody with the love of God. So nowhere in this does it say it's easy, but it is, it is commanded. So I'll, I'll personalize it. I, as a follower of Jesus, Jeff Lyle, I am called and accountable to Jesus Christ for loving everybody. And that is no easy task. And quite frankly, it's the same on your life. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, you're called to love everybody. But the law never said, hate your enemy. It never actually said that. Um, there was a lot of, in our Old Testament in, in the Hebrew Bible, and that's the one Jesus would have been referencing anytime he's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures because the New Testament was not yet given, given yet. And so Jesus is saying, you know that the law says to love your neighbor and you've heard also that you're allowed to hate your enemy. Now the law never told us we're allowed to hate our, we're never commanded to hate our enemy, but the common practice and the rabbinic teaching, the rabbis of that day and the traditions was that to be a good God lover, you had to hate evil doers. And that actually wasn't what the Bible commanded. We're not actually, we're not even equipped to properly hate evil doers. Now there are some scriptures that says God hates evil doers, but he's the only one that can do that in perfect holiness. We can't. So we're not commanded to hate anybody, but we are commanded to love everybody. And again, that's just where we find out love is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling because I, I can agape love everybody. I can, if it's commanded, I can do it, but I cannot feel warm, fuzzies, gushy love towards everybody. Just can't do it. So it's, this is not about feelings. This is about loving from your will. The strongest part of you is not your emotion. The strongest part of you is not your intellect. The strongest part of the Christian is the Holy Spirit harnessed will, your will. I will do this. No matter what I think, no matter what I feel, I will do this. So he's appealing to our sanctified will. And then he says, when you love your enemies, you're going to pray for those who persecute you. He says, no, 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 you're not actually going to, when you follow me, you're not actually going to hate your enemy. 
you're going to love your enemy. You're going to agape your enemy. And if you want a general understanding or definition of what agape love is, is it means it's a love that seeks the highest good of the other person. And it has very little to do in its pure definition with how you feel about the person. It's how you will towards the person. And so you're going to seek your enemy's highest good. You talk about like paradoxical. You talk about counterintuitive. That's why you can't do it apart from him. To, to love your enemy. And then he adds, pray for those who wrongfully treat you, who persecute you. So you actually put your enemy on your love list and your prayer list. Now, let's just pause here for a minute because some of you are ready to like not only pause, you're ready to turn this podcast off because it's messing with you because you know who's treated you like an enemy. You know who's done you wrong. In some cases, it's terrible what what some of you have had happen to you. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's maybe it doesn't rise to the level of terrible, but it's painful and it's wrong. And, um, we don't necessarily in our flesh want to love that person. Why? Cause they don't deserve it. <laughs> they haven't been lovable towards us. And Jesus says, yeah, you're following me and you're going to be like me. And I'm going to walk with you through this and I'm going to train you how to gain the mastery over your enemy, not through retaliation, but through redeeming love. And so because we have experienced his redeeming love, don't forget that the Bible says before we were saved, we were all the enemies of God. Like we were enemies of the Lord. We were children of the devil, children of darkness, children of wrath. That's what the Bible says. All of that's very unpleasant, but that was our position before the Lord, before we came to Christ. But in love, in grace, in mercy, he came to us and instead of retaliating against us, he redeemed us. And so he says, if you're truly my follower, you're going to learn to do this and you're actually going to gain the mastery over your enemies, not by de destroying them in the sense of like retaliating, but you're going to win the victory over your enemies through love and through praying for those that persecute you. And he tells us in the next verse in Matthew 5, 45, he says, when you do this, you are becoming like the sons of your father in heaven. Did you get that? Like the goal of Christianity is not getting you to heaven. That is a byproduct of being saved. But the goal of coming into relationship with Jesus Christ is not to take you to a geographical heaven when you die. It is to make you like Jesus, to become like him, to know him, to be transformed into his image over a lifetime, to become more and more sanctified until ultimately you are glorified. And he's saying here that when you love your enemies and pray for them, you, when you start doing that, you are becoming a true son of the father. You're becoming like your dad in heaven. That is amazing to me. And then Jesus says, let me show you how this works. He says, and still in verse 45, he says, God makes the sun rise on those who are evil and those who are good. He sends rain on the crops of those who are just and rain on the crops who are unjust. So there's a sense of common grace where people who posture themselves as enemies against God still experiences blessings. They don't give him glory. 
they don't thank him. They're not, a, they're not aware that they're experiencing his blessings because they hate him. They're, they're indifferent or they're hostile towards God. But God knows. He's like, I'm sending the rain, and it's going to water my children's crops, and it's also going to water the crops of people that will never come to me. And he's saying in our lifetime, we don't act like God, like Jesus, when we know how the outcome is going to be. We act, we, we follow Jesus. I don't want to call it an act, but you know what I'm saying. We, we pattern ourselves. We adopt the mind, the heart, and the will of Jesus. And we don't do it based on how people are going to respond. We do it because we're sons of the Father. We're children of God. And so that if we're going to be like him, it's not about, you know, a lot of people just think, well, I'm, I'm going to be godly. And they think godly means I'm not going to do certain sins. And of course, I think that's incorporated into it, but that's not where it stops. To become godly is to become like God, like Jesus Christ, our Lord, the son of God. And so that's not just about in, you know, moral standards, it includes that, but it's not just about that. It's actually you become like him. You live how he lives. You respond like he responds. You think like he thinks. You love like he loves. And Jesus loves tenaciously. Jesus' love, and I think I'm going to do another podcast just on the topic of forgiveness because this is attached to forgiving your enemies too, so maybe that's the next podcast. But Jesus loves and he rains down his love on the evil and the good and the good respond to that love. And that's why they're made into righteousness. That's why they can be called good. The evil don't respond to the raining down of God's love and God's grace and God's blessing and God's mercy. And that's why they remain evil because they don't give God glory. They don't thank him. They don't believe in him. They don't surrender to him. But then, and let me close with this. Then Jesus asks a couple of questions. Because, you know, he, he anticipates our inner protest. We're going to be like protesting. So we're going to be like, hold on a minute. What do you mean I'm supposed to love my abuser? What do you mean I'm supposed to love the spouse that abandoned me? What, what do you mean I'm supposed to love those that kill and, and, and pervert the ways of God? What do you mean? He's like, well, I'm telling you to seek their highest good. I'm telling you to agape them. You're like, well, Lord, I don't know about that, but let me tell you what I will do, Lord. I'll love those that think like I think, that honor you, that have my values that I've gotten from you. They share those biblical values. They share the gospel. They, they share in the kingdom. And Lord, how about I give all of my love to people that I know love you and you love me uh, and, and they love me. And so Jesus anticipates that inner protest that we're like, it doesn't make sense to love those that are terrible to us. And so Jesus says, but if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? That's verse 46 of Matthew 5. What, what reward is there if you just love those who love you back? And then he says, don't even the despised tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors were traitors. They had abandoned their Jewish people. They served the pagan Gentile Roman government, collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. And they were hated. And Jesus says, um, even the tax collectors that are despised and known as traitors that have no character, they have no substance in their soul. He says, even the tax collectors, even the notorious sinners can love those that love them back. He says, that's not hard to do. There's no reward in that. You don't need me to love those that love you. He says, the pagans can do that. 
He says, I'm asking you to go above and beyond. I'm asking you to do something you can't do on your own. I'm asking you to get behind me, take up your cross daily and die to your desire to retaliate and withdraw your love. And then he says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So he's given the same illustration in a different way. He says, oh yeah, if you're open and welcoming to those that are just like you, your spiritual kindred, your, you know, the people you're connected with, your tribe, or you could even say your race, your generation, your age group, your denomination, your people that think like you, look like you, act like you, dress like you, talk like you, sing like you, worship like you, pray like you. He says, yeah, if, if you're only welcoming and greeting to those kind of people, you're really actually no better than a pagan. That's exactly what he says. He says, don't even the Gentiles do the same. And then he sets, it's like he throws the grenade at the end. And this is Jesus talking to those who follow him. Like this didn't go away. This is still like part of what we're supposed to be pressing into. He he gives this, and it's the last verse in Matthew 5. He says, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, automatically we go to this place in our mind saying, well, nobody's perfect. The Bible says we've all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. Let God be true and every man a liar. But the word doesn't mean perfect in the sense of without any flaw or blemish ever. The word actually means coming into full maturity. And so what Jesus is saying when he's challenging us about loving consistently, loving faithfully, loving our enemies, praying for those that have hurt us, receiving them, staying open to further relationship with them and greeting them and remaining available to them, he says, You need to press into full maturity. You must keep pressing into full maturity because your heavenly father is perfect. He is perfect. He is without flaw, without blemish, without sin, without darkness, without spot. He is perfect. Therefore, we are to be maturing in with the intention of of experiencing and um you know, manifesting the perfection of God to the degree that we're able to do it. Now, granted, I'm already telling you, you will never reach ultimate perfection, but in the pursuing of God's holy, righteous ways, you will become perfectly mature over time. Most people think it's an unattainable goal. Why bother? Well, I'll tell you why bother. Jesus said you must. Jesus does not look at us and say, I know what I'm asking is hard. Therefore, you don't really have to do it, but I'd like you to do it. He never gives us that option in the context of continually loving. He literally says, no, God is perfect and holy and God is making you like him. Or if I want to be very specific, Jesus is saying, God is making you like me, like Jesus and we're we're going to die to our need to retaliate. We're going to crucify our impulse to withdraw our love. We're going to keep pressing in as painful and hard and self-denying as it must be. We are not going to live by the lex talionis, the law of retaliation. We're going to be living by the lex agape, the law of love. And so I know that you guys are like, ugh. Because, I mean, in my flesh, when I hear this, I'm somewhere between convicted and wanting to run. And there's something sometimes in our flesh that just wants to give some pushback because it feels unreasonable what he's calling us to do. 
Well, it's not about it being reasonable. It's about it being like possible, but it's not possible without him. And so when Jesus lays upon us something impossible within that impossible mandate that he puts on us, it contains this thing that delights him. And let me tell you what it is. It contains the requirement that we depend on him so deeply. And because we're going to depend on him so deeply to help us with this impossible thing he's calling us to do, it requires that we're going to continually need to be close to him, intimate with him, listening to him, coming to him with our groans and dying to our flesh and taking up that cross daily and following him. That's what he's saying. And so there's that it is impossible for the non-believer to do this. It's impossible. You can't love like Jesus without Jesus. And even if you're saved, you can't love like Jesus is calling us without a dying to self and being raised in the power of the Holy Spirit in all of our relationships. So that's a lot for you to consider today. And I hope that you will, man. This is one of the parts of Mavericks and Misfits that I just love um, because um, I don't, I just don't leave us in the shallows. I don't, I, I don't want to be left in the shallows. I want to swim in the strongest currents of the kingdom. And you can't do that from the shallow end of the pool. And so we're going deeper and deeper. And the deeper you go, the more you have to die to yourself. And the less you're going to be like the average status quo Christian. Like what I'm teaching you today, the average status quo, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die kind of Christian. They'll they'll never even consider pressing into this. They'll dismiss it. They'll say, that's too hard. And I've been done too wrong. I'm not going to listen to it. Next podcast, please. But for those of you that really, really, you, you, you sold out to Jesus, you made up your mind. You're like, Lord, whatever it takes. You've sung it in songs. You've prayed it in prayers. You've groaned it in the spirit. You've said, whatever it takes, I must have you to the fullest. And I want you to have me to the fullest. For those of you that that describes your life, you're going to press into this. And it's just another reminder of something you already knew that we're not allowed to respond to those who do us wrong the same way that unbelievers do. We're going to become more like Jesus as we trust God to defend us, to clear our name, to establish us, to right the wrongs. And in the end, the scales of justice will be balanced. And so one of the reasons that we give love like this is because we need love like this from other people. And, you know, we've been on the wrong side of those balanced scales sometimes. Sometimes it's us that have done people wrong. And so we definitely want people that we've done wrong to obey this from Jesus, right? We want people to pray for us when we've messed up. We want people to love us when we've hurt their relationship. We, we want God to let his reign fall upon us when we haven't necessarily deserved it. And so what we need, we give. What we long for, we release. W- what we must have for ourselves, we, we impart to others. And in doing so, we become more like Jesus. All right, time's up today. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you want more access to resources, I'd like to remind you from time to time to go to transformingtruth.org or download the free Transforming Truth app. Uh, Transforming Truth app. Um, everything we put out, including Mavericks and Misfits podcast, is on that Transforming Truth app. 
Um, and so you can have all of the stuff that we're releasing, long sermons, short sermons. We do 30-minute stuff. We do 45-minute stuff. We do the podcast, social media, all of that stuff. It's in the Transforming Truth app, and you can also go by transformingtruth.org, and you can find all of that stuff there. You can go to our YouTube channel. Um, just go to YouTube, look for Transforming Truth or Jeff Lyle, and it'll pull up um, recent teachings if you prefer to watch. I actually prefer to listen. I'm much more of an auditory learner than I am a visual learner, so I like listening, but some of you would much rather watch watch a message. And so those messages are there. And uh, I'll just say this, if you know, you don't have a home church, January will be honest before you, you know it. And a lot of people start hearing the Lord as a year closes and a new year begins. If, if God is, if he's uprooting you from where you are, why don't you just make a commitment? Like come, come see what God's doing at the church at Winder in January of this coming year and maybe consider a new start. And, um, as always, guys, let's continue just to be students of the word. Let's be people filled with the Holy Spirit, people of prayer, people who are engaging in the culture that we live in, but we're doing it on behalf of the kingdom. Keep your heart clean. Keep your knees bent. Keep your eyes looking under the hills. That's where your help comes from. And I will talk to you on the next episode of Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.